This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. Most racing fans will be surprised to learn 17 years have gone by since Greg Hall quit the saddle after a stunning career that brought him over 2,000 winners, 49 Group 1s, 42 Group 2s, 43 Group 3s and 207 listed races, a record any jockey in the world would be proud to own. Those 49 Group 1s include a Melbourne Cup, a Cox Plate, four derbies and two golden slippers just to highlight his achievements at the elite level. He rode for most high-profile trainers of his generation and several high-flying owners. For part of his riding career, Greg battled an alcohol addiction, which make his achievements all the more remarkable. A broken marriage, an estrangement from his son Nicholas and the realisation that his riding days were over sent him spiralling into the darkest of places. For many years he's been battling depression and alcoholism and has been a frequent visitor to hospitals and psychiatric centres. But I'm delighted to say Greg Hall is currently winning the battle. He hasn't touched a drop for 12 months, he's keeping busy and only a couple of weeks ago he drove from Melbourne to Bendigo to visit his old mate Sub-Zero who'd been close to death. Greg, I'll bet the thought crossed your mind when you saw that old grey horse. If you can do it, Subby, so can I. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, lovely to speak to you again, mate. Um, yeah, I did, mate. It brought a tear to me. I, I, um, I was sitting here and thinking, you know what, he's going to die, this bloke, and um, Sub-Zero, and I said, come on, get off your bum. You're strong. You're going through it yourself. Mm. I went up and seen him, and um, and it was amazing, amazing and an emotional, extraordinary. Um, it was very cold up there, and um, I got in the box with him, and he put his head one way, and my head was the other way, and I had a cold ear, and he gave me a cuddle, and mm. and I kept in touch with him, John, over the years. You know, even even. Even when I was riding, you know, I'd, I'd ride a winner. He was the clerk at the course, and I always give him a pat and a kiss. And when he was leading me back in, and then he went on to what he done after racing was more important than what he done on on, on racing, even though it was the biggest day of my life. But um, yeah. yeah, he's an extraordinary horse. Well, better horses than Sub Zero have won Melbourne Cups, Greg, but none have put as much back into the game as this old boy has. No, he he hasn't, John. You know, it was the greatest uh, day of my life, and it it, it, it changes everything. And um, and I think that's put put a lot of pressure on me too. But we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, he is an extraordinary horse, and and sadly, mate, he's um, well, not sadly, he's back home with Graham, and Graham's very. Crook and um, he's 31 years of age now and uh, as you and I know, you're a horseman yourself and it just hasn't happened at 31. But um, I don't know what's going to happen when he's going to pass away, but um, it'll be very emotional for me. But um, 
he, he's a horse that um, someone said the other day, oh, oh, we'll get another one to do the same thing. But um, <laughs> it's like saying Muhammad Ali, we'll find another one of him or we'll yeah, find another Tiger Wood. It won't happen, yeah. Mm. At the peak of your career, <clears throat> you were drinking too much, but your powers of recuperation were freakish. You could go from the party to the racetrack and win a group one. You had a better constitution than any horse you ever rode. Yeah, I think that comes from my genes, uh, John. My dad was a jockey. He had four brothers that were jockeys and five sisters that married jockeys, and my brother was a jockey and his son was a jockey and I was a jockey and my son was a jockey. But um, the halls have got a constitution. um, But in saying that, John, um, I was – I'd never had a drink till I was 22 and then um, and, and you, you sort of limited how much you could drink. But by the time I got to 35, yeah. someone, uh, well, not just someone, a few people had, plus my wife tapped me on the top shoulder and said, mate, you've got to get this drink out of, in, in, in control. And um, mm. I uh, stopped drinking for 10 years. I went cold turkey and then um, – and Greg Hall wasn't the Greg Hall that you know and you and I go back a long time, John, but um, – and I stopped for 10 years and I rode 150 listed group races in that 10 years. I've heard people say, imagine what Greg Hall could have done had he been a non-drinker. Mate, it's pretty hard to, to say that your record could have been any better was pretty good, 49 group ones. Reality is, um, mate, I've got a disease. Now, whether it's um, cancer or... Um, Diabetes or whatever the di- case may be, yeah. Yeah, right. And it's called alcohol. Mm. And the layman says... Well, he doesn't. Uh, I know I'm an alcoholic, right? Mm. But they don't get that. They they think that's a, a bloke under the bench or in the park or whatever. But um, and after Dubai, not drinking for ten years, mm. I um, I got back to Melbourne and um, my kid was still going to school there, and um, it was one one. <clears throat> it wasn't the best divorce, and um, I thought my only friend was the um, bottle. Mm. So after 10 years, I hit the bottle, and then it just spiraled out of control. Mm. But it took 10 or 15 years, and, and you're talking to a bloke that had a lot of money and the bells and whistles, and um, and it doesn't just discriminate from anybody, John, you know. It doesn't matter if you're a judge or a lawyer or you're John Tapp or, or Greg Hall or... Whoever. Or, or the bloke in the park, you know. Mm. So um, it is a disease and um, and I've learned a lot about it through Graham Orford, who, who's a good friend of mine, and um, he got me, got me through the other end. Mate, I've been to three rehabs in... Um, in two years, so nobody can say Greg Hall's not a trier. Mm. Like, 
at, and in the rehabs I went to, John, I haven't been to prison, but I'd rather go there because they didn't work. They didn't, obviously, they didn't work. But um, anyway, we're, we're still, and, and John, reality is um, there's six suicides per day in Australia and six of them are men. And I've, I've got the I've got the luxury now of um, speaking about mental health issues and um, whether it's drugs or alcohol or it doesn't have to be any of that. But um, so I'm pretty pretty happy to still be here, mate. Mm. Your mum and dad separated when you were just two years old, and your dad <laughs> was. Ron Hall, a wonderful jockey in his own right, who excelled on the flat and over the jumps. Uh, just tell me about Dad's ability as a jockey, Greg, for those who don't remember him. Geez, you've done your homework, John. You know, I, it's funny, John, you know, um, <clears throat> when I was, I was born in Adelaide and um, I had a sister and a brother, I was the youngest of three and um, I can't remember at two years of age but um, the story goes is um, Dad drove them back in a Volkswagen to Melbourne and I was too young so he put me on a plane and, and a bloke called Mick Sayers picked me up. Thank God he did at two years of age. It would have been pretty hard getting a cab but um, <laughs> but um and I never seen my mother for fourteen years later. But uh, and I was brought up at Jakita Lodge, and when I was eight years of age, and I stayed there till I was twenty-one, and with Tony Lopes, and and you know the famous stable. But I look back on things, and all of a sudden I'm riding for Kerry Packer and Lloyd Williams, and you know I always win, wanted to win a Melbourne Cup and that, but I didn't know it. Um, Riding and, and and being so successful, and I, I didn't know it come with the pro, with the price, John. Mm-hmm. Your dad must have been riding work for Flemington trainers, was he back then? He'd take you to the track with him in the morning, and uh, that's how you spent so much time around Chiquita Lodge, the famous training establishment that was built by Tony Lopes in the nineteen sixties, and it was very fitting that you should become indentured to Tony Lopes. He was your first master. Yeah, my uncle Brian B.B. Hall, he used to fight the premiership out with Jeff Lane and um, my brother was apprentice there, I was apprentice there, Dad was still riding. Like my, my dad, I'm not trying to push his barrow here, John, he's passed away, but um, my dad was a freak jump jockey, right, and... Mm. I wish he was in the Hall of Fame because he was outstanding. But um, as a kid, you know, from 8 to 21, you don't think of the, the time. I had great times there. I used to pinch ponies and go out and ride at midnight and gallop ponies around the course proper of Flemington and they go, oh, that kid hauls out here again. And But... Um, yeah, Dad was a great jockey. The whole see, John, the whole family were, mm. you know, BB Hall, um, Uncle Joe, and the trainer. You know them all, anyway. Mm. 
After a time with Tony Lopes, your apprenticeship was transferred to a trainer called Arch McClements. They were. Um, I was a good kid. I was a bit of a larrikin. Mm. They said, well, send this kid up to Arch McClements. And um, I went up there at Yarrick and he wasn't he, he wasn't the only one and um, that was after Tony Lopes and um, then I was apprenticed to Billy Varians and in those days, John, I had my first ride at 14 and um, I left school at 12 and I was riding work when I was eight. But um, in those days, um, it was a seven-year apprenticeship. And uh, I, uh, so I went from Tony Lowe to Arts McClements and Billy Burns and mm. and then I went to uh, Theo Jacobson. Who in in Sydney, that's right. That was a big move. They sent you up to Sydney to a trainer called Theo Jacobson at Rose Hill. He trained for a man called Bill Hackett who had some nice horses, Greg, in that era. He did, he did, and, and I was 17 then. And in our world, John, back in those days, 17, you know, you're still a kid, you know, and um, they're different these days. But um, Theo Jacobson and um, Bill Hackett, um, so I got sent up there through his father, Leo, and um, he had dark purple and not that I was in that era, but... But that was an experience with uh, with Theo and um, and I rode my first winner in town for a bloke called Ray Guy called Tudor Tavern. Yeah, that's a good trivia question. No one would imagine that your first winning ride was trained by Ray Guy. In town. I'd never yeah. rode a winner in the city of my life. And, um, mm. and my second winner was on a beautiful horse that uh, – called Hasty Heart. Mm, good mare, I remember her. Yeah, Roy Higgins just to ride on that. And I was a kid that couldn't ride then. I didn't do much. And anyway, anyway, I was with Theo and uh, he was a character. And my dad called in on the way to Queensland. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, come on, do your last 18 months with me. So I moved up to Queensland and spent my last 18 months um mm-hmm. Because it was a seven-year apprenticeship. That was the rules. Mm-hmm. Well, when you came out of your time, you were a little bit restless. You just couldn't get a foothold. You went back to Melbourne for a while. You went back to Brisbane for a while and back to Melbourne again. But during one of your Brisbane stints, and this was your first Group 1 winner, Greg, you won the Stradbroke Handicap of 1978 for your dad, on a horse called Innisfree. Big thrill. Amazing. Amazing, John. And you don't think of it at the time. I think it was 40 to 1. I couldn't ride. It was a beautiful horse. And he won the race for me. Mate, we'll pause briefly uh, to clear this commitment on the podcast and we'll be back in just a moment. A catalogue of almost 200 horses will be offered for sale at the final Inglis auction of the year, the 2019 Ready to Race sale at Riverside Stables on Tuesday, October 22nd. 
all horses are two-year-olds, broken in and prepared by experienced horse people and presented for sale, literally ready to race. Each horse will undertake a breeze-up session, which is a gallop ending in a 200-metre sprint. Each breeze-up will be recorded, which will enable prospective buyers to get a gauge on a horse's action, size and potential ability. There'll be an additional breeze-up session this year at Eagle Farm in Brisbane on Monday, September the 23rd, and other sessions will be held at Cranbourne, September the 13th, Warwick Farm, September 20th, Taupo in New Zealand, September the 23rd, with a second session at Warwick Farm on Friday, October the 18th. The strength and quality of the English ready-to-race sale catalogue is unparalleled in Australasia. Well, finally back to Melbourne to give it a serious crack. You linked up with a brilliant trainer in Angus Armanasco who had a couple of pretty handy stable jockeys at that time. Who were they? They were Roy Higgins and Harry White. Pretty good. So you were number three to start with. I was for a while and he had a beautiful stable Caulfield and... Um, my first break was, I think you mentioned it, John, was um, Vishkadal in the Thousand Guineas. Right. And then yeah. I got on a horse called Turf Ruler. Mm. He was a superstar. Mm. I had 13 rides on him and never missed a place. Yeah. And I won an Oakley plate on him. And um, He was a quirky horse, Greg, wasn't he? You, you must have clicked with him. He was a very dangerous horse. Johnny he, he had bad manners in the barriers and bad manners in racing and Roy Higgins had rode him a lot of time and anyway um, it, was, it was a bit of a funny story actually John I, he was favourite for the Doom 10,000 and Roy was the um, stable jockey I'm only a kid you know and, um, and uh, he said I'll ride that horse now and um, as you and I know at the Doomden track um, in the 10,000, um, as he got coming around the home straight, he turned back up to the 2,000 metre start mm. and um, threw him over the fence. And um, he was, he was, he was pretty, pretty. He was a horse. You know, Gary Willis said to me one day, I'm Manicato. I loomed up to him and um, in the William Wernick Reed and he said, God, I thought you had me, but he, 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 he'd loom up to any horse, but he, he, he'd dig his heels in and then stop. You know, I was five lengths in front one day at Caulfield on him with 50 metres to go and he won by a short half head. Mm. It was this strange horse. Yeah, you had to know him. It, now he was a he was a great horse, though, John. Mm, well, he provided you with that Group One win in the Oakley Plate of nineteen hundred and eighty. Now it was around this time that Mark Reed was into horse ownership in a very big way. He had horses in Melbourne and Sydney, uh, and he imported Henry Davis, a very talented trainer from the Gold Coast to Melbourne to train his team there and he asked Greg Hall to be stable jockey. But that meant you would have to terminate your association 
with Angus Armanesco. You'd, you'd have had mixed feelings about that. I did, mate. It was very emotional. Oh, I'll never forget it. I, I, he had Roy Higgins, Harry White and Mick Dippman come into the stables and when he had the big stable, he had 40 horses. I said, where's Mick? He said, he's sleeping. So I drove all the track work. But um, <laughs> uh, And Angus was the most beautiful person. I look up to him a lot, my second father, and um, I went into the office, and um, which I normally done after track work anyway, and went into his house, and he had a pool table there and that. And I said, boss, I was... Because those days it was boss, you know, and um, yeah. I said, boss, I said, um, Mark Reed rang me and Henry Davis and, as you know, I married Henry's daughter, Kim, and um, and loyalties were every, everything to me, you know. And I said, boss, I said, I've got off of this job. I said, but it's going to be two months before they get the horses going and all that because Mark got Henry down here and put him on a contract for five years. And mm. and they thought, and um, I said, but I don't want to leave you, you know. And he said, listen to me. He said, go and do it. He said, and you'll be a champion. Dear old Angus, you were heavily involved early with that horse getting closer, Greg, the horse destined to pull off one of the biggest plungers in Australian racing history. You rode him in a couple of early trials in Melbourne and you knew how good he was. I did. I did. Um, Henry and Mark probably didn't believe in me then because I was a young kid and... Um, I rode this horse. Um, he was only a two-year-old, and they paid twenty-five thousand for him. And there was Mick Fraser there, and all these gun track world riders. And and reality is, John is only one to ride him because I, I I wasn't real keen on riding two-year-olds that are a bit ratty and all that. But he was such an angel, you know. And I said, oh, I'll ride this one, you know. Mm. And um, <clears throat> he. Um, Cut a long story short, um, I said he can gallop. And um, they put him in a trial. And Mark Reed was was a beautiful bloke and a very smart bloke. Dapper young man, 24 years of age, the king of the rails and bookmaker and all that. And he was in Sydney and I'm down here with Henry and and. They put him in a trial with uh, Stone Song, Cold Chisel. Yeah, a hot trial, in other words. Yeah, it was a hot trial down the straight. And mm. um, I tried to explain to him how good this horse is. And then Mark flew down and he said, well, I said, if I hit him around the bottom, mm. I said, he'll blow him out of the They said, that's not possible. He's a maidener. Mm. And I sat back in the trials, and the trials those days, 400 metres on the course proper at Flemington and the outside, um, I said, well, you're going to get shocked here. And um, I sat back last, and I went bang, bang, and um, he just blew him out of the water. And molten, I think Stolen Song still holds the record down the straight. But mm. um, that, 
blow it out of the water and um, and then all of a sudden they believed in me. Well, you didn't ride him in Sydney, Greg. Malcolm Johnston was on board when he landed the big plunge at Canterbury, but you were more than compensated when he came back to Melbourne. You won three straight on him. Mick Dittman rode him in a couple of Brisbane runs in which he finished out of the placings, and then you got back on and you stayed on for the rest of his racing career. You won another five on getting closer, including two Group 1s, the Western Mail in Perth, and the Rothmans 100,000 the following year. Now, Greg, that brings the curtain down on part one of our podcast. Uh, We're going to pause now, and when we come back for part two, we'll highlight some of the champions you rode over the next two decades of an amazing career in the saddle. The Stallion representation at the Inglis Ready to Race sale on October the 22nd is a who's who of the breeding industry. Better than ready, Nakoni, Brazen Bow, Not a Single Doubt, Deep Field, Rubik, Dundeal and Shooting to Win. And we've just scratched the surface. Add to that Hinchinbrook, So You Think, Holy Roman Emperor, Spirit of Boom, I Am Invincible, Starcraft, Medagliadoro, Tavistock, More Than Ready, Written Tycoon, No Nay Never and Zoostar. Inglis again team up with Racing New South Wales by presenting the sale three days after the Everest. The timing will ensure the attention of world buyers who'll be focused on Sydney at Everest time. October 22nd is the date for the Inglis Ready to Race sale at Riverside. <laughs> 